This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Oh, come, all ye faithful, all ye joyful, all ye triumphant. You could put it this way. Come to God, everybody who's already perfect, who's already regret-free, the beautiful people, the rich people, the powerful people. Come to God if you've already got it all figured out, and then he'll tweak you just a little bit. Does that sound like the story of God? Not so much. But at first glance, that's, that's what it sounds like he's saying. But I think he's saying something different. And I want to unpack that today. See, Jesus tells us that he came to earth to reveal God. He goes so far as to say that if you've seen me, you have actually seen God. And the religious leaders of Jesus's day, and really the religion of Jesus's day, believed that exact thing. Only come to God if you're already perfect, if you've already got it figured out, if you're regret-free, come if you're faithful, joyful, and triumphant, then you can come to God, and maybe if you're good enough, God will accept you. There were these religious leaders in the day that Jesus lived called Pharisees, and, and really what they wanted was they wanted the people to follow God. They had a good desire, and yet the way that they went about that was they said, figure it out, get good, get perfect, obey all the laws. And there were over 600 laws they were trying to obey. They said, and then you can come to God and maybe if you're good enough, you can slide in by the skin of your teeth. Maybe he'll accept you. And we're told that Jesus came to earth to reveal God to us and to, to teach us the story or the script or the narrative of God. And notice what Jesus said one day as he was having an interaction because it teaches us about who Jesus invites to come. One day Jesus, Mark 2 tells us, that Jesus was walking along and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, who was sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now let's, let's pull over to the side of the road for a second. Because when we read about this guy's occupation, we should pause and say, why on earth would the author take the time to tell us what this guy does? I mean, Jesus interacted with thousands of people over the course of his life and ministry, but they don't go through great lengths to tell us what each of those people did for an occupation. So what is it about tax collectors and what's he trying to show us? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, tax collectors were Jewish people in Jesus' day who were despised by their own countrymen. Roman, Romans had taken over. They, were, they had subjugated the Jewish people. They were the ruling authority. And the Roman government partnered with these Jewish tax collectors, and they said, you need to go to your people and take exorbitant taxes from them to give to Rome so we can continue to conquer you and other people groups. And they said to the tax collectors, here's the perk for you. You have to collect this much, but then you can collect anything over that that you want to, to pad your own pockets. And that's exactly what tax collectors did. They took what the Romans required, and then they took extra on top of that from their own countrymen so that they could make themselves rich on the blood, sweat, and tears of their own people. And because of that unethical practice, they were despised as the lowest of the low to the Jewish people. And Jesus strikes right up to this tax collector and he says, come and follow me. And he's not saying, come and give a few bucks and sit in the chair and listen to me preach a few sermons. He's saying, come and follow me. Allow me to change your life. Allow me to transform you. 
and then be part of a group that changes and transforms the world. Jesus only invited 12 people into that kind of a relationship, and one of them is a tax collector. It'd be like me saying to you, friends, I was driving down to the city and I got prompted to pull off at San Quentin. I was sitting over at San Quentin and a notorious murderer was released. And I just got a sense he would be a good pastor. And so I, I went up to him, no background check. I knew where he was coming from. I didn't need a background check. No background check. I said, would you come and be our family ministries pastor? And guess what, guys? I'm announcing to you that we now have a, a murderer as our family ministries pastor. Wouldn't you be excited about that? No, you would kind of grumble and complain, who is this guy? You want to send an email, which I would tell you, send it to justin at newlifepetaluma.org. He loves to hear from you, all your complaints. Because you wouldn't be able to figure out why on earth I was doing this. Well, notice what happens next. Verse 15 says that Jesus didn't stop there. He went and he had dinner at Levi's house, this tax collector. And not just the two of them, he invited a whole bunch of other tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And they were eating with him and with his disciples. And there were many people who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, this leading religious organization, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because their story about people and people's relationship to God was this. You have to be faithful and joyful and triumphant before you enter into God's presence. You have to be perfect and beautiful and no regrets before you can come to God. And Jesus, who was claiming to have special connection with God, was inviting these people in, in their awful, horrible state, the lowest of the low. And these tax collectors can't, or the, the Pharisees, they can't figure it out. And so they do what people do. We, we oftentimes, we like to, if you've been raised around the church, we like to demonize or villainize the Pharisees. Like, how could they do this? They're just doing what people do when they can't understand something. They have no context for Jesus eating with these people. So they do what we do when we don't understand things. If we're left to our own devices, they grumble and complain. They do what you would do if I hired a murderer to be one of our pastors. They grumble and complain. Why is he doing this? What's going on? Why on earth would he eat with people who didn't have it all figured out? Verse 17 says, Jesus heard them. And on hearing this, he said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, people who have it all figured out, the faithful, the joyful, the triumphant. I've not come to call them to myself, but to call sinners. Last Tuesday, my son had a Thanksgiving rite of passage. He's four years old, and uh, he, had to, he had to get a big scar across his chin, which I think for every boy is just a rite of passage. He was, he was here at the church. We were riding around. They were decorating uh, for Christmas, and he'd been here for hours riding his Razor scooter, which, by the way, I love that we're a church that invites kids to come and ride their bikes and ride their Razor scooters around here. Don't you? I love that about us. I love that there were some other kids here earlier in the week, and they were playing and riding their scooters. And, uh, and I have a remote-controlled helicopter up in my office because I like that kind of stuff. And so I plugged it in, and I came down and said to them, hey, guys, you want to fly this helicopter together? 
And we did. We flew the helicopter around the church because I want them to look back as adults and look back on their experience and say, I loved my church. I flew helicopters with my pastor because you know what? A lot of us who were grownups didn't have that experience with our pastor. Our pastor was like this. He was very rarely like this. You know what I mean? So we flew helicopters, and then Landon was here with, with Maddie, our, our daughter, some other people, and no joke, they've been here for four hours. Five minutes before we leave, my wife says to me, Kevin, why don't you pack the Razor scooters up and put them in the car? I said, honey, I'll pack them up when it's time to leave in a few minutes. Not two minutes after that, I hear thud, ah, and he's screaming. And I come around the corner, and here comes Landon with his hand like this, with our seven-year-old Maddie with her shoulder around him. And the first thing Maddie said to me was, Dad, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I don't know how it happened. (laughs) And Landon's crying big alligator tears. And I look at his hand, and there's blood all over his hand. And I said, Buddy, did you roll over your hand? He said, No, Dad. I said, Where does it hurt? He lifts his chin up, and he's filleted wide open like a fish. I mean, it's just all the way down. Now, I don't mind blood. So I went into the kitchen, got a wet paper towel, put it under here. Blood's just flowing. Uh, Maria's not such a huge fan of blood. And so I just walked in very calmly and said, honey, nothing to worry about. But but Landon and I are going to head to the urgent care center. He's going to need a couple stitches. And, uh, And we went over there. They ended up gluing it back together, which he thought was awesome that he got glued together. But here's the thing. We walked in and you know what they didn't say? They didn't look at me standing here fine and my son with blood dripping down his arm. They didn't say, now, which one of you needs a doctor? Is it you, sir? No, I need a, I need a therapist. Um, <laughs> I got an amen for service for that. I don't think we need to go that far. Is it you, sir, who's totally well? Or is it you, little boy, who's got blood streaming out of his face? Who needs a doctor? Of course they didn't ask that question. Why? Because hospitals are for sick people. They're not for well visits. And Jesus is saying that. He's saying, look, the church, this gathering of people, we're like a hospital for sick people. You don't have to be perfect to come in here. We throw the doors open so you can come just like you are. Because it's, it's for sick people, not, not primarily for well visits. Well visits are great along the way, but Jesus is calling people who are sick. He said the healthy, they don't need a doctor. That's why I'm not having dinner at the church with you. Sick people need a doctor. That's why I'm having a party here with these tax collectors. Because they haven't met me. They don't know me. They're not perfect. You could say it this way. Jesus didn't come to call the faithful, the joyful, and the triumphant. He came to call the doubtful, the deflated, the joy depleted. He came to call people who have doubts about God, God's existence, God's reality, God's goodness. People who are deflated by life, life has just beat them down. And the joy depleted. Thank God he did. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And you wouldn't be here. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a principal. My dad's a principal. My grandparents are both teachers. My mom's a secretary. My twin brother went on, and now he is an assistant principal. And my dad used to tell me, son, you spell principal, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-A-L, because the principal's your pal. And I thought, I want to I be somebody's pal like my dad, Mike. But then partway through college, God tapped me on the shoulder, and he nudged me or urged me, or you might say he called me into ministry. And when he did that, my insecurity went through the roof. Who am I that God would call me? 
And I remember going to my first full-time pastoral conference. I was about 23 years old, and I got there with people from all over the country. And this woman came up to me later, and she said to me, Kevin, when I first saw you with your tongue ring and your gauged ears and your spiky bleached hair, she said, I thought to myself, they'll let anybody be a pastor in California. (laughs) To which I thought, yes, they will. And I'm so glad they do, because God calls everybody and anybody He calls us when we're doubtful and deflated and joy depleted, and then he takes us on a journey of becoming who we were always created to be. Jesus came to reveal God. We're told that one of Jesus' titles is Emmanuel, God with us. And at Christmas, God came to be with us and to show us what he's like. And when Jesus came, he showed us that no one is beyond God's reach. I'm not, and you're not. And you might think you're here today because a friend invited you and promised you lunch afterwards, or you're here today because you just need to get your kids away from you for an hour, and kids' ministry seemed like a good choice. Come on. But you're not. You're here today because you're not beyond God's reach. Because God sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he has a plan for you. You're not beyond God's reach, and guess what? Your neighbor's not beyond God's reach. That guy in the cubicle next to you is not beyond God's reach. Your husband, who you've invited to church a hundred times, he's not beyond God's reach. That person in the grocery store, they're not beyond God's reach. Because God didn't call, come to call only the people who had it all together. He came to be a hospital for sick people. And that's why we say we're going to break down every barrier that keeps our community from encountering God because we believe the church, us, and this building is where we have church, and it's nice on rainy days to have this building. But when I say church, I'm talking about us. He called us, the church, this gathering of people, to be a hospital, to throw the door open wide so that anyone who wants to can come and encounter God. And the Pharisees said, if you're not good enough, don't come. And Jesus said, that's a bunch of malarkey. is it St. Patrick's Day yet? That's a bunch of... Christmas in Killarney is another one of my favorite carols, but we don't have to talk about that right now. He said, that's a bunch of malarkey. Don't bother coming if you think you got it all figured out. Come to me just like you are. Can I pull over to the side of the road for a second? I want to talk about one of the, the greatest opportunities we have to invite people to come just as they are. And it's coming up in less than a month. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is the best opportunity. Christmas, the month leading up to Christmas, Christmas and January is kind of our biggest opportunity to strategically reach people because leading up to Christmas, there's a nostalgia. I feel like I'd like to go to a place that's familiar to me. And then leading into January, everybody's got, like, I want to make my life better, my family better, my marriage better, our finances better. And it's it's a great time when people are open to God. Christmas Eve services are going to be the perfect time the perfect time to invite our friends to come to church, our family to come to church, our neighbors to come to church, our coworkers to come to church. Our theme this year is going to be home for the holidays, and it's going to be the best kind of nostalgic feel. It's going to be just absolutely incredible. And I believe God's asking us to invite everyone we know to come because people are already open. They're looking for somewhere to go on Christmas Eve. Why not invite them here? Inside your programs, you've got postcards, and our service times are going to be 3 and 5.30. All the information is on here for it, so that your friends can come at 3 and then go to Christmas Eve dinner at 5.30, or they can, they can have time with their family and then come to the, the second service. It's going to be great. Did you know that over the last three years, each year we tend to have 
between 40 and 75 people come to our church for the first time each Christmas Eve. Think about that. Normally, we have anywhere from 10 to 15 guests coming for the first time, which is amazing, and I never want to lose that as a church. But on Christmas Eve, 40 to 75 people come to church for the very first time. And almost all of them come because someone invited them to come. And so this year, what I want to do is I want us to invest, invest in relationships, invest in our neighborhoods, invest in our coworkers, invest in people we encounter every day at school or at work. It's easy when you get to be part of a great community like this to invest in, because there's great people in this room. But God's invitation for the church is to be a hospital that invests out as well and then invites our friends to come with us. So I want, you to, I want you to invest in people and invite them to come. They already want to come. The majority of your friends are open right now at Christmas Eve to coming. This year, what we're going to do is we're going to invest all of our energy in Christmas Eve, all of it. That means we're going to have great kids' ministries on Christmas Eve. Zero to five-year-olds are going to have a really, really fun Christmas program. I'm so excited about that. Your kids are going to walk away loving it. Our elementary age ministry is going to give you a sneak peek into what's coming in 2016, and they're going to have gift bags for all of our elementary age kids that they're going to give to you if you head over to the zone. Give those to you, and then your kids are going to enjoy uh, Home for the Holidays in here with us, and they're going to love it in here. I'm telling you, it's going to be so good for them. Our guest services team is going to up the game, and they're going to just be serving us like nobody's business. Our worship team The stuff they have is so fun. This thing here, this little beep, 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 that was so fun. That's like my new favorite instrument. That's how it sounded to me. (laughs) Beep, beep, beep. Um, They've got instruments coming I've never even heard of before. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to talk about what it looks like that that God came home for the holidays and, and what that means for us and how that changes everything, everything. I want to share something with you that you probably don't know because you don't, you don't, look at this stuff like I do. This is my job, okay? So, like, I get to spend all week thinking about church, talking to people about church, looking at church dynamics. Did you know that every Christmas Eve for the last three years, 40 to 75 guests, did you know that every Sunday after Christmas, we go down to about 200 people from, like, 550 or 600 people, 200 people, and we have, like, zero guests come. Why? Because it's the Sunday after Christmas, right? Come on now. Come on. And people are traveling, and people went to church two days before, and we don't have any guests. And, and traditionally, we've said to people, hey, uh, if you want to come next week, I guess you could come, but really you want to come the week after that in January. We're starting a brand new series in January, and it's always this awkward thing. Like, why are you telling me not to come to church this week, but to come the week after? And our volunteers are exhausted because they just poured themselves out on Christmas Eve. We're all staying home, and we're telling people who come for the first time, don't come back next time. That's weird. So here's what we're doing this year. We decided that we're going to invest all our energy into Christmas Eve, and then we're not going to have services the Sunday after. Because we think when God calls us to gather weekly to worship, he's saying gather weekly to worship, whether that's Sunday morning or Saturday night or Sunday night or or Thursday night. So we're going to gather together on Thursday night. We're going to invest everything into that because that's strategically what God is doing in our cities. And we want to be a hospital that welcomes in people when they want to come. We're going to press everything into Christmas Eve, and then we're not going to have services on that next Sunday because we want to point everybody to the first week in January where we're starting a brand new series called Modern Family. And I'm so excited about Modern Family. You guys are going to love this series. Yes, that Modern Family. Yeah, yeah. You're going to love it. And your friends who come for the first time, they're going to love it. And here's what I'm going to do on that Sunday. 
I'm creating a video devotional for Sunday the 27th, and I'm going to email it to you so that you can have a devotional with your family at home, even if you're traveling. If you're with family in Southern California or around the country, you can pull it up and you can watch the devotional with them, and that might get some of your family in other parts of the country to church for the first time ever. And it's going to be family-oriented, and we're going to love it. And I get to be in your living room that morning. Isn't that fun? Doesn't everyone want their pastor in their living room on Sunday morning when they're in their pajamas? Sure. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And then that next week, we're going to launch that new series. Why? Because we say it over and over again. We'll do anything short of sinning to be a hospital for people, to reach people who are far from God and help them encounter God. And we don't think it's sinning to move our worship services around. We think it's strategic and wise. And so we're going to try it this year, and I think it's going to be awesome. So here's what I'm asking you. Invite everybody to come on Christmas Eve. If you don't have people come with you, I guarantee you will love Christmas Eve. You will have a great time. The service will engage you. You will, you will encounter God and feel closer to him and be more ready for Christmas because you came. You will love it. And that's all good stuff. But if you have a friend sitting with you on Christmas Eve, you have the opportunity to see a Christmas miracle happen when your friend encounters God for the first time. And as great as it is for us to come and worship God on Christmas Eve, and we should, and it's good, how amazing would it be if you got to see a Christmas miracle firsthand as your friend who you invited had their life changed forever? So take your postcards. Invite your friends. We're going to have big posters in the lobby. You can put them in coffee shops in these next couple of weeks. We have hundreds of extra postcards. Take them. Invite them. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Because Jesus doesn't come to call faithful, joyful, triumphant. He comes to call us in the midst of where we are. See, when we enter into a relationship with God, we don't, we don't enter in faithful, joyful, and triumphant. We enter into a relationship just like we are, and then Jesus begins the process of flipping the script of our lives and making us joyful and faithful and triumphant. And here's how he does it. He teaches us new stories to believe about himself and about us. And I'll unpack that a little bit, and then we're going to dig into it next week. But, but there's a word for that process. And if you were raised in the church, you're going to hear this word. and It's going to make you throw up in your mouth a little bit. So just get ready. It's the word repent. Repent. Now, if you were raised in the church, especially with a loud preacher, they probably had a big wooden podium and they'd say, repent, repent. And you were like, whoa, what's wrong with that guy or gal? But repent's actually one of my favorite words in all of the English language. Here's what repent means. It means change your mind. Change your mind. Jesus says, when you come to me, I'm going to begin a process of changing your mind. It's like this. When you were single, you used to think like a single person. And that's appropriate when you're single. But then when we get married, we begin to change our mind and think like a married person. When you're single, you think in terms of me. When you get married, you think in terms of we. Is it right to think like a single person when you're single? Absolutely. But when you get married, if you're still thinking like a single person and living like a single person and acting like a single person, you're going to get in trouble, right? So you what? You repent when you get married. You think differently. And when we begin to think differently, then we begin to act differently. That's all repent means. It means thinking differently and then living out that thought process in our lives. And that's how transformation happens. When we begin to change, transform, repent of the way we used to think and begin to think differently about God and life and ourselves. And Jesus came to show us God. In fact, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And he came to flip our script about who God is. 
Because the thing we believe about God in our minds affects absolutely every part of our lives. When you think of God, if you think of distant and cold, then God is going to seem far away from you and you're going to stay far away from him. He minds his business, I mind my business. But Jesus came to tell us that God's not far away from you, that God is actually near. And Jesus came and he said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the ends of the age. Always I'll be near. If you think that God is angry, just waiting to strike you down, then you're going to keep your distance from God because you're afraid of him. But Jesus says, no, no, God is like a good father who's perfect and powerful and loving and present and always wants to guide you in the way that brings the most life to you. If you think God's expecting you to perform and to get perfect before you come to him, then you'll turn out like the Pharisees did in Jesus' day, religious in the worst kind of way, trying to become perfect before you can come into God's presence. But Jesus says, no, I came to call sick people and change their thinking. So how do we rewrite the script about God? Well, we look at Jesus, and the best place to look at Jesus is in the four biographies of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the Gospels. They tell us Jesus' story. And if you want to rewrite that script about Jesus, on that card that says start here, on the back of it, it says, I'm going to read through the book of John. And I actually meant to write the book of Luke. That's a typo on my part. I'm going to read through the book of Luke between now and Christmas and rewrite that script about God. If you mark that down on your card, I'm going to email you out a 12-day devotional through the book of Luke. It's got questions and background and story to help you engage with God and rewrite that script. So I'll email that out to you if you mark that down. But some of you are thinking, I don't like to read. That's why I finished school. I feel the same way about running. I don't like to run. That's why I got my driver's license. So I understand Well, guess what? I actually found a 24-day audio devotional through the book of Luke for you. So you don't even have to read. You can download it on your phone. You can listen to it on the way to work, and you can just hear it. But I'm telling you, Jesus came to teach us something new about God on Christmas. Why not engage with him in these days and weeks leading up to Christmas? He came to flip the script about God and flip the script about us. Did you know what God says about you if you're a follower of Jesus? Do you know what he says? He says, you are a daughter of and a son of the Most High God, the King above all kings, the Lord above all lords. He says, basically, you're royalty if you've entered into a relationship with Jesus. He says that you had this old life with its destructive patterns, with all the regret and all the pain, but when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, he says that old life is gone and a new life's beginning. That transformation is starting right there. He says that you are unique, You were created uniquely by God on purpose, for a purpose that God made you and God doesn't make any junk. Therefore, you are not worthless. You have value. Do you know what God says about you? He says you're his child. He says that he believes in you so much that he's placed his spirit inside of you to lead you to all truth and then to give you the strength to be the person that he created for you to be. And his spirit inside of you is a key part of that transformation process. Next week, we're so lucky. Pastor Ron is going to take this little part that I've talked about for five minutes. He's going to expand on it in a whole message, talking about uh, how the way that we understand ourselves impacts this transformation process. He's going to lead us on a path towards transformation. You don't want to miss next week. But God says this to us. He says, come. Come, everybody who's doubtful, who's joy depleted, 
whose faith has pretty much run out. He says, come to me just like you are. You don't even have to take one step closer to make yourself better. Just come. Let me change your life. And then he promises to change our life as he rewrites that script about himself and that script about us because God is a good, good father. That's who he is. And you and I are his kids. And if you've never entered into a personal relationship with God where you've said yes to him, encountered him like a good, good father who's forgiven you of your sins, who's changing your life, who's transforming you every day, then I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to close our time with prayer. And in that prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to commit your life to God, to say to God, I want to enter into this relationship with you. I want to experience your forgiveness. I want to experience your transformation. And God responds to that prayer 100% of the time. And then after we pray, I'm going to invite the worship team up and they're going to actually lead us in a song that declares that script change about who God is and who we are. And I'm going to ask us to stand and sing it together kind of as a way to respond to God and the things he's doing in our lives. So if you're ready to commit yourself to God, you can repeat this prayer after me. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. And if you're ready to enter into that relationship with God through Jesus, you can repeat this prayer after me. Just whisper it where you're sitting or you can say it in your, in your head and God hears and responds. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want, I want to have a relationship with you, God. And I want this life that you're offering me, this life of transformation. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to partner with you every day of my life from this day moving forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.